You're listening to Simply Disciples, a discipleship podcast designed to help Deer Creek Church think and act faithfully in a changing world. Some years ago, I found myself in a discussion with a student at a local university. I was critiquing a commencement speech that we had both listened to at the university. And I was making the point that the Bible contradicted many of the points that were made in the commencement address. And now I can't honestly remember anything about the speech today, but I do remember the student's agitation with me. He wasn't agitated at any particular comment I made or the Bible passages I referenced. Rather, he kept saying, I see what you're saying, but that's just your interpretation. Many of us have had similar conversations with friends and family members, no matter how persuasive we are, no matter how plain the passage of Scripture, the regular reply is, that's just your interpretation. Now, to be sure, even uh, in the Bible, there have always been different interpretations about passages of Scripture. Even Peter the Apostle said that some things Paul wrote were hard to understand and that the ignorant and unstable twist them to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. But it's always been the belief of Christians that the Bible can be understood, that all things that are necessary for salvation are clearly laid out and understandable in scripture. In fact, it's always been the belief that it must be understood in order for a person to have a true faith in God. That's our springboard for our discussion today. Can we understand the Bible? My name is Daniel Nealon. I'm a pastor here at Deer Creek Church. I'm also joined by Aaron Ellis, Aaron, our worship director at Deer Creek, Chad Donahoe, associate pastor at Deer Creek Church, and last but not least, or maybe so, Tim Rehnquist, our executive pastor. Guys, can we understand the Bible? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay, okay, good, sir. I will say... Interesting for me, over the years of doing college ministry, I would regularly teach through the book of Revelation, and I found often my college students had never, they they wrote, they would read most of the New Testament. Rarely did they read the book of Revelation because they assumed they would not understand it. And if I probe yep. further, that's mm-hmm. also a lot of the Old Testament, just an assumption it would be above their heads, beyond them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is a, a common assumption that we even see in church history. Um, there was this assumption that, you know, the Bible would be dangerous to give to people. Mm. Even uh, John Wycliffe, um, who wanted to translate the Bible into the vernacular of the people, um, that uh, certain church authorities thought that was a dangerous thing to want to do, and he was actually executed for, um, for that idea, for pursuing that. And so there, there is this, this sense, not only today, but in the past, that while the Bible is, is so important— could the average person even understand it? And so I think it's a helpful conversation for us to have. Yeah. And yeah. the scripture tells us the answer to this question in a number of places. One that comes to mind is Psalm 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 8. It says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So what we see in that in that passage is that the, the scripture actually brings light. It brings enlightenment. It mm-hmm. brings clarity, not confusion. It doesn't bring darkness. And I also think of Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Right? So this this word is clear enough to bring a light to our path, right? Yeah, that's good. Uh you know, going off of what you just mentioned there, Aaron, in scripture. I find this really interesting. The Bible actually assumes children 
can understand teachings and important concepts that come from the Bible. So this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, it says, uh, and these words that I command you today, so this is Moses speaking, right? And he says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So you see in this passage, like two things are implied, right? So first is that children are capable of understanding and applying the word of God as their parents teach it to them. So Moses before this had basically unpacked all of the old Old Testament commandments, right? Saying, hey, follow these things, do these things. And he's saying, teach your children these things because they're capable of, understand, capable of understanding them. But note, second, that it also implies ordinary mothers and fathers are able to have this grasp of Scripture sufficient enough to teach it to their children. And this is particularly notable given that most of the people to whom Moses originally spoke uh, they wouldn't have had much in way of education, and many of them uh, w- would have been able to. They wouldn't have been able to read at all. But neither of these factors was a barrier to understanding enough about the scriptures to be able to understand them themselves and then teach them to others, particularly their children. Okay, so let me go back, Daniel. Your opening story about um, and you know the difficulty of interpretation. So, devil's advocate here. What if someone says, what are your responses, that it is just your interpretation of these passages, that it's actually not that clear? Yeah. So like to that one I just said, yeah, is that your, just your interpretation? Well, yeah, I mean, it is my interpretation. But it's interesting, you know, most, most people don't say that in other areas of life or like in other fields of study. So it's it just, it's interesting. Usually when people do say, hey, that's just your interpretation, notice nobody ever really says that about math. Nobody ever says, hey, two plus or sorry, two times four equals eight. Nobody says, hey, that's just your interpretation. No, we all agree, hey, these things can be known. Same thing in science, right? Nobody claims, well, the law of thermodynamics, that's just your interpretation. Even other types of study, you look at history or think of an instruction manual or very day-to-day, think of a cookbook direction. Oh, yeah, the Toll House cookies, Exactly. On the back. (laughs) So, you know... Just your interpretation. I know, my kids. My kids are like, Dad, two cups of sugar? (laughs) That's just your interpretation. That's just your interpretation. Go ahead and double that bad boy. Just the sugar? Right, yeah. (laughs) Nobody looks at a recipe for cookies and says, hey, that's just your interpretation. So... I just find it interesting, this objection, when somebody says, hey, that's just your interpretation, it's very selective, Mm -hmm. right? It seems to be only reserved when we're talking about the Bible that people want to level this objection. It doesn't carry over into other areas of life, and I just find that interesting. It's interesting because um, historically in the United States, the study of theology used to be seen on par with some of the types of scientific studies as well, other, other areas of study. And it's only in more recent history that we've made all of this so subjective. Right. As in, you can't really understand these things. They're just personal, or there's what it means to you. When in the past, actually, these things were studied alongside mathematics as a, a respected discipline um, yeah. in academia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the objection as well, that's, that, that's just your interpretation. I think it's rooted in the fact that people are just simply unfamiliar with their Bible. And so, um, 
uh, not a lot of people, here's the thing, not a lot of people read their Bibles consistently. And there's even studies on this, right? That um, I was just thinking of one recently, that only one in six American adults um, they read their Bibles. Uh, they read their Bibles on, on most days. Now, here's the thing: um, that's actually that can be a good number, you know. And, and mm-hmm. if you look at as as a whole, um, but that's I think that's something like 16 percent of Americans. But here's the thing: um, a lot of Christians um, that just anecdotally that I interact with, um, they're reading snippets of the Bible, like a verse a day, um, or just these little devotionals that take snippets of scripture. And, um, they'll, they'll reflect on these little pieces of scripture, um, alone and not necessarily, and and in doing that, they're missing the big picture and the Mm -hmm. larger scope of all of scripture and, and what the whole passage and what the entire Bible is trying to say from Genesis to Revelation. And that's not wrong to read the Bible in that way necessarily, right? It's not, we're not, you know, condemning anybody for that, but it's just an observation that, hey, we don't have a whole lot of fluency with the Bible. So just by default, it makes it kind of mysterious to us, Mm. right? Yeah. Um, Another piece of that, if someone says it's it's just your interpretation, I think uh, for many... Um, that's coming out of a way of thinking that's become uh, more popular in recent decades uh, along the lines of postmodernism, which is a, a, a big kind of complicated sounding term. But um, there's, a, there's a couple of basic premises that if you hear them, you'll think, oh, yeah, I have experienced that or that has come out in conversations or, or maybe if you're a, a student in school. Uh, but but at its basic level, uh, postmodernism holds to a, a, a number of truths, which is interesting, a number of uh, statements um, that, that you could analyze. Uh, one is, there is no objective reality. Uh, second one is, there is no scientific or historical objective truth. That is, you know, uh, there's social constructs, you know, the winners of history write history. Um, another one is uh, science and technology and even reason and logic are not vehicles of human progress, but are instruments of power. They're ways of, of getting and holding on to power. Um, and, yeah, and the so last... like saying, hey, something can't be blue and green at the same time, a postmodernist would say, well... That's you know what? That's just that's just your interpretation. <laughs> no, you're just trying to assert power over me by making me submit to your standard yeah. of what's mm. what's true. Your way of thinking. There is right. no objective truth, but yep. but you're trying to control me. It's a it's a power grab. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and the last one is there is no certain knowledge. There is only particular knowledge. My truth, my story, my journey, my self expression. There is no universal story or knowledge that we can tap into. I experienced this in in my undergraduate uh, degree. Um, I needed a, like another class uh, to fill out a psychology minor, and I, I looked at the course catalog, and there was one in women's studies. And I was a, a young single man, and I thought I'm going <laughs> to sign up for women's studies. <laughs> Way to go! Because yeah. I will probably be the only man in that class. That's right. Yeah, and you're that's, a smart man. This is yeah. yeah. This is the level that I work at, people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I found myself in a very strange class that was almost all women. But um, I remember one of the in one of the discussions we had read a book, and one of um, my prof- the the professor um, stated very clearly. This is a, a, a quote. There is no objective truth. 
And I'm thinking, I'm at a university, and I'm in a class, and we're studying all these things, and yet she's telling me there is no objective truth. And, and I was young and snarky, and so I ended up saying, is that true? And the reality is, all of these things, all of these precepts of postmodernism, they're truth claims. They're statements about the nature of reality that are true or not true. So you can't get away, you know, from these things. Even and just in saying, saying it's not, it, it's it's your interpretation. Is well, then you have to have an interpretation too. Yeah, even in yeah. saying it, you're contradicting yourself. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And I think a key word throughout that it's just the word you or Tim, as mm -hmm. you said earlier, my truth, my story. It is utterly subjective, and and we see it every everywhere, right? We um, if it makes you happy, it, it must be right. You know, live your truth, define who you are. And at the heart of all this is the word you. Yeah. In fact, as you're saying that too, Chad, it makes me think of Adam and Eve in the uh, Garden of Eden. They're, they have the opportunity to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And what that is representing is like what God's trying to show there is, hey, who's going to define reality here? Is it going to be God? What God says is good and evil? What God says is right and wrong? Or will Adam and Eve try and take that upon themselves and make the world about them, their truth, their story, their lives. Um, it's just fascinating, just the parallels. Absolutely. And what the Bible says on these subjects is actually incredibly clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I do think it is. I, I agree with you, Chad. It is clear on what it teaches. Um, reminded of the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says this. It says, uh, not all things in Scripture are equally plain in themselves or equally clear to all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly stated and explained in one place or another in Scripture, that not only the educated but also the uneducated may gain a sufficient understanding of them by a proper use of the ordinary means. Okay, so just think about what that's saying there. Is is it's it's an admission that true, not Everything is equally clear here. However, the doctrine that you need to know in order to be saved, in order to know about God's saving grace, his salvation, that part is clear. And then um, we also are told that we have uh, the ordinary means. So what are we talking about? We're talking about... Um, that these means, and I think they can be used to bring a higher level of clarity and, and to seek that clarity. This is, this is um, we're talking about uh, sitting under solid preaching, right? Regularly studying the scriptures for yourself in, um, in Bible study, uh, regularly praying for God's guidance, and worshiping with God's people and asking questions to the pastors and teachers. Those are the things that are available to us that will help us gain a higher level of clarity. I think that's great. Yeah, it's there are some things that are hard to understand. Oh yeah, but that doesn't discount everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. The the big picture of it. Don't lose the forest for the trees. Yeah, the forest is clear. You may find a tree that's a little uh, hard to understand. You may find a particular passage, but the bigger story is absolutely clear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So if the Bible is clear. Why are there actually so many interpretations then? Yeah, I, I think when I think of that, I think we need to realize, I, I think we're making maybe a little bit bigger of an issue than actually exists. Because when you look across, just look across Christianity in general, right? Whether you're Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, 
there is a lot of agreement, mm -hmm. a lot of agreement, right? Even among different Protestant denominations, you know, sometimes people will make it seem as if, look at all these denominations, you can't agree on anything. Well, that's actually not true. There's actually widespread agreement on most of the central parts of Scripture. You know, I, we were talking earlier about, you know, marriages. If you're in a healthy marriage, do you still disagree and see the world differently than your spouse? Well, maybe not Aaron, but yeah, for the rest of us, yes, <laughs> right? It's like there's going to always be ways that we don't see eye to eye just based on our experience, based on things that we carry into our marriage. But those main central things, we're actually going to find a lot more agreement on those things, even though we're going to have particular differences here and there. And that's where I think it's helpful to say, too, even though you know we're Presbyterian, even though we're Presbyterian, we share a lot in common with Baptists a lot, even more in common with Lutherans, maybe even more with Anglicans, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I, sometimes I think that's, that's even overblown that we just disagree over all these things. No, on the minor things, sure. Yeah. But on those major things, no, we're actually pretty lockstep. Um, and Aaron, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, actually. So if the Bible, because we've been saying the Bible can be understood, you mentioned Psalm 19, Psalm 119. How should people read the Bible then? Because one thing to say we can understand it, but well, then how do we understand it? How can we read it? Yeah, I'll just uh, list a few things. I think um, R.C. Sproul mentions some things that, that can be helpful. One thing that he says is read the Bible like any other book, okay? Um, another thing he says is interpret historical sections by didactic. Okay, so so what that means, that's this a really fancy way of saying you read historical things in the historical context and not as things that are necessarily ordinary or permissive. So what I mean by that is that, uh, here's an example, Abraham had um, a few wives, right? Mm -hmm. um, but Jesus taught against polygamy, and you, you see teachings against polygamy um, in, in a lot of scripture, okay? Um, so what you see in Abraham is simply a description, yeah. It's not a prescription. It's not something, it's not a commandment. It's it's not something that's that's being cast as like, oh, this should just simply be ordinary. Everybody should have multiple, you know, every man should have multiple wives. And that uh, feeds into your first point, because you said read the Bible like any other book. Yeah. Right. So if yeah. you're gonna read history, you don't read history like you don't read the history of Abraham Lincoln and conclude, therefore. Everybody should be president, right? right? No, that you should just wear tall it. hats, or you should wear tall yeah. hats. Everyone <laughs> yeah. must. Yeah, this is what how he did it. So you should wear yeah. a tall hat. Yeah. No, we read it like history. We say, Let's oh, bring that's it back, though. We'll that's what happened. Tall hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you start first. You go first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah no, no. You've laid, laid out two there. Sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, interpret the implicit by the explicit. Okay. Uh, note the difference between a proverb and law. Okay, so, so what that's talking about is um, notice again genres that you're reading, right? Um, I, I've been reading through the Proverbs um, recently, and, and I've come across a few that, that I, I have noticed, wow, I think we've actually turned that proverb into a law, mm -hmm. right? Um, yep. and, and I think it's just meant to just be a, a wise saying, right? Yeah, um, so good. Can I give an example of that? Because I was watching ahead. a documentary recently where they were talking about— um, I believe it's, is it Psalm 130, guys? We're talking about the quiver. The quiverful. The quiverful. Yeah. Children are like a quiverful of arrows, mm -hmm. you know, and, in a warrior's hand. And, and that's it's, a proverbial psalm. It's a proverbial psalm. Yeah. It's, it's saying, hey, this is, this is just generally a good saying. Have kids, be fruitful, multiply, right? Those are general principles. But then I've heard people take that, and I was watching a documentary recently where people took that, 
And they said, therefore, couples should have as many children as they possibly can bear. Yeah. No, that's taking a proverb and that's turning it into a law as something you ought to do instead of, hey, this is just a good general principle. Have kids, they're going to bring a blessing to your life. Yeah. Right? Mostly. <laughs> yeah, mostly. <laughs> yeah, mostly. Most yeah. Days. Most days. Mostly well, on most days. It, it, that actually leads me to the next point, um, which, which uh, drives down a little bit further and gets a little more technical. Notice the difference between what's law and what's gospel. Explain okay. oh, yeah. the difference. Yeah. Big. Okay, so um, what is so you're going to want to be answering the question: What is God commanding? Okay, and um, that's a, a, law. That's law. Mm-hmm. Or a fancier way of saying that is an imperative. Mm-hmm. What is God telling you to do? Yep. Okay, and then the opposite is uh, the, the other. The other side of the distinction is um, what is simply being stated as true. That's mm-hmm. what we call an indicative. So. Um, uh, uh, that, uh, most of the gospel of the uh, no, all of the gospel um, uh, uh, mentions in scripture that are describing what God has done for you. Those are indicatives. Those are not imperatives, right? So mm-hmm. we are we are told that Jesus saves us by grace alone through faith. Okay. Uh, that is an indicative. That's just simply true. Mm-hmm. We are not being told to do anything. We are not be. We are not given an imperative around the gospel. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so. Yeah, because people will say very often, "Live the gospel," or "Do the gospel," mm. or "Share the gospel." If necessary, use words. Right? right. What is being implied in all of those statements is that the good news is something we do. Yeah. Something that we carry out. Uh huh. And that is, that is actually a very soul-damaging belief. Because the thing that makes Christianity unique and makes it good Uh is that none of us do it. None of us carry out the imperatives. None of us carry out the law. None of us can carry out the law, and none of us ever will. And because of that, we're guilty and we're sinful. The gospel is now God saying, I will do it. Mm -hmm. I will carry out the imperatives. I will carry out the law. I will carry out everything you failed to do. Oh, and everywhere where you've broken, I'm going to take the punishment for that Yeah. in my son, Jesus Christ. That's the difference between law and gospel. Mm-hmm. Law is do this. Gospel is it's done. Rest, mm-hmm. receive, rejoice. Mm-hmm. Just bask in the grace of God. Yeah. You can't do the gospel. You can't do the you gospel. You don't live right. the gospel. And when people gospel. say that, the guy who says that, I want to call, their, call his wife over and say, is this guy living the gospel yeah, for him? It's, it's is not he great. doing the gospel? Not, you know, yeah, uh, my wife would say well, uh, emphatically, on, no. Let's keep, let's keep on this soapbox a little bit longer yeah. because <laughs> yeah. it, I think it's significant if you look at Very the letters of the New Testament, mm-hmm. how often the beginning of the letters, Paul's letters oftentimes, rooted in the indicatives, what God has done. And then following right. that towards the end of his letters are often the imperatives mm-hmm. of then in light of that, what is true? Yeah. What do we do? Absolutely. This is who you yeah. are. This is who right. Jesus is. This is what he's done for you. Now live this way. Now live. Now live this way out of that. Not before that, not to earn that. Right. Out of that reality. And think about this. If, if you start thinking you can do the gospel, if you start thinking Christianity is primarily about how you should act, what you should do, how we should act, one of two things occurs. Either you do pretty good at it and you become unbearably, unbearably self-righteous. Yeah. Or you become almost without hope, despondent and dis- and crushed if by despair you, you because you it, fail. Yeah. Right? So 
it's very, very important that we say, no, the primary thing is what Christ has done, who he is, how he's accomplished it, and how we receive it. And let's go back to the art topic, what we're talking about. That's just very clear in Scripture. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very clear. Yep. Very yep. clear. Yep. I, what so, else you got, Aaron? What else there? Yeah, yeah. well, just to, put, just to put an end to that, like just to make sure that we're, we're clear, learn how to read law and learn how to read gospel, to tell the difference between the two, learn how to, how to tell the difference between an, in, an indicative and an imperative, okay? Um, if you need a little more help on that, you can go ahead and look that up. Also, um, uh, to continue on, number six, be careful with parables. Uh, again, you don't want to you don't want to turn the uh, the parable into into um, something that it's not. Yeah. Like going back mm-hmm. to the, the distinction between the law and gospel, you you don't want to turn um, uh, wrongly turn a, a parable into all of a sudden now. Oh, this is law for us now to do. Right. Yeah. Yep. You, you want to be careful with that because the parables start with the kingdom of heaven can be compared to mm-hmm. and then a story. <laughs> yeah. So right. what is it about? It's about the kingdom of heaven. The mm-hmm. kingdom of heaven. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Be careful, and uh, this goes back to your um, your first point, Chad. There, be careful with predictive prophecy. Yeah. That can be hard to read, and um, and often that can get really messed up in today's culture. Um, and that, you know, we 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 read something that is that is predictive, and we um, and we think, oh, this is this is either already happened in its in its fullness and it's done or we or we say um uh, this is supposed to be happening tomorrow right and, mm-hmm. and we fail to see the full context of of where it fits in into its in its prophecy right uh number eight be humble and number nine make sure you pray pray prayers of illumination right so pray that god would shine uh, understanding through the scripture that he would make himself and the message of the gospel more clear through what you're reading. And then finally, ask questions. Yeah, ask people, uh, you know, con- consult other people, consult people who have been trained in this, even though it is clear, even though it is understandable, you know, we can always use extra guidance. Well, final question then, guys, why is understanding the Bible so important? Yeah, uh, Chad Van Dixhorn says something, I think, that, that's really helpful on it. Um, <clears throat> he says, it is most necessary... Um, What else could it be? After all, it reveals a knowledge of God and a knowledge of what is necessary for salvation. And since it is useful for building up the church and defending us from our enemies, the scriptures are necessary for the good spiritual health of Christian people and necessary for the very existence of the church and its doctrine. That's why. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yep. I mean, it reveals the knowledge of God, right? It builds up the church, all of those good things. Yep. Yeah. To that question, why is understanding the Bible so important? I constantly was challenging our college students. Most of them had read just snippets of the Bible, oftentimes never cover to cover, oftentimes encouraged them, read through the Old Testament, read the whole Bible. And and part of that is just the glory of understanding the gospel, that the whole Old Testament pointed to this glorious God who would save yeah. the day, right? A Messiah who would come. And then the clarity of Scripture, what we see is Jesus Christ. Clearly that Messiah took on flesh for us, died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended, and will come again. And then I, I think about Peter who asked the question, in light of all this, what sort of people ought we to be? Yeah. So we read the Bible to continue to mm-hmm. glory in the gospel and ask the question, what sort of people ought we to be? Yeah, that's good. 
Well, we're going to leave it at that. Again, uh, just one final plug here. Uh, pick up a copy of Kevin DeYoung's Taking God at His Word. It's a more in-depth study on this topic that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, uh, the doctrine of Scripture. Also, pick up a copy, you might have seen it on the Next Steps table as well, a copy of What We Believe. It's just a, a copy printed uh, by us uh, that that puts uh, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Shorter Catechism in your hand uh, in a format that is easy to read and is accessible. So pick both of those up at the Next Steps table. We also have Bibles available. We also have Bibles available. Yeah, that's, yep. a, that's a great start. Just that's open a good up story the too. book yeah, and yeah. start reading. You yep. know, Read a couple chapters a day or a chapter a day. Yep, yep. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, Deer Creek, for Simply Disciples. You have been listening to us, and we hope that you can join us next week as we continue our discussion. Take care.